0: I love that knows no record of wrong. I love that line. Especially when things don't go right. Let us worship our awesome God as we continue to reflect upon who he is and what he has done for us through his son Jesus Christ. Father God, we just come. We come to worship. We come to magnify your name and to lift you up high. And Lord, the beautiful thing is that... You don't require perfection, but that truly to want to worship and glorify you. So I do pray that our hearts are indeed there. Lord, I just want to preach of you and glorify your name. And I can't do it on my own, Lord, so by your Spirit, help me to preach this sermon with what is needed. Use this sermon to bring glory to your name above all things, and joy to your people, and salvation to the lost. And amen. Do I need to switch mics? No? Okay. Never mind. Uh, Simon says, when I was a uh, youth pastor, seems like a lifetime ago, um, I, we went to youth retreats at NBC, uh, which was always a good time. There's always somebody who ended up going to the hospital. Uh, not in my group. One year, someone probably should have gone. We found out she had a concussion. You know, hashtag youth pastor fails. But um, we, uh, one of the things that we always did in the opening ceremony or the opening morning was a game called Alex Street Says. So Street Says. Alex Street is or was a youth pastor, and he would always do this game called Street Says, which is essentially Simon Says, but he put his own name on it. Um, And it's a great game, right? Everyone jumps up and down, and you copy them, and you say something different. Essentially, the whole premise of the whole game is that you are trying to confuse people so that everybody ends up sitting down because they didn't get the right combination right. Right? We've all played Simon Says, right? Hopefully. Okay? I think every kid has played Simon Says. Well, here's the problem with it, right? Is that the whole premise is to confuse people. It is essentially watch what I do and, and, and not listen to me and, and don't listen to me at all. And it's a very amazing thing to think about, right? But when we come about to eldership and what that is all about, it's not the same as Simon Says or the game. It's not about what I say and not what I do, like the game Simon Says. It's about do what I say and watch me as I do it. So if you have your Bibles with you, please open them to 1 Peter chapter 5. We're going to be in chapter 5 of 1 Peter from verses 1 to 5. As we continue on in our sermon series, looking at churchology and what the who and the what we are, what the church is. And one of the aspects of the who and the what is, well, who leads the church? And in the Bible, it talks about this group of people called elders. What in the world are elders and what do they do? and what does the bible say about that. Now as we continue in this series as you open up your bibles follow along with me in 1 Peter chapter 5 verses 1 to 5. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the suffering of Christ Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourself, all of you, with humility towards one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And this is the word of the Lord. So this first point, as we look at what elders are and how they fit in in churchology and the who and the what, we really need to understand what are elders? What are they? And there's a couple of instances within the Old Testament and the New Testament that talk specifically about elders and answers that question of what are they? What are they? What do they do? On a basic level, an elder is a man who does three things, or is three things. First one is that he meets the qualifications that are laid out in 1 Timothy 3 verses 1 to 7 and Titus 1 verses 6 to 9. And I'm going to let you look at that and look over the, that's a whole other sermon. (laughs) <laughs> but also the second thing is that is recognized by his congregation as an elder essentially he is a man who's already doing the work of eldering before he's in the office of an elder so as a congregation we're looking around and we're seeing those men that meet the first qualification first timothy and titus and we're saying that man is worthy of the office because we are a baptist church we're congregational which means we vote it's one of your jobs is to know what the qualifications are so that you can also identify those men in the congregation who meet those qualifications. I said the word a lot, but qualifications are important. And the third thing is this. They, they also lead the congregation by the teaching of the word, praying for them, and overseeing the affairs of the church. So essentially this, what are elders? They are spiritually minded men tasked with shepherding the flock through prayer and the teaching of God's word. They give oversights. As we will look at in First Peter 5, verses 1 to 5, they oversee. An elder must watch over the flock. He must instruct all the sheep. He must strengthen the weak ones, guard the vulnerable ones, rebuke the obstinate ones, and bear the difficult ones. That's the job. That's the job description. An elder watches over the members of his church as one who will give an account to God himself. Hebrews 13, verse 17. They watch over the flock, but what does that mean? They're also the chief disciple-makers in the church. They're the ones who are walking alongside of the younger ones, teaching them to be all that God has commanded them to be. But also in the New Testament, we see that elders aren't just one man, it's also plurality. New Testament local churches consistently have a plurality of eldership. The, Christ, the chief shepherd, means to care for his flock through a number of godly men who together teach, guard, guide, protect, and love the sheep. Because not one man has all the gifts that are needed to shepherd the flock. Desperately, there needs to be more. I don't have all the gifts. I don't think in every single way that is possible. That is why there is a group of men with different ways, with different emphasis, and and together we come together to share the flock of God. So there is a plurality that is there. They love the sheep. And this means that every local church should look out for men who are already doing the work of an elder and appoint them to that office. So think about it this way. It's like uh, firefighters. I have a few friends that are firefighters. Uh, For those who are police officers, they often make fun of you, just as much as I know that you make fun of them. But with firefighters, there's two classes. In the country, you have your volunteer firefighters, right? And your paid firefighters. Two different types of firefighters. But here's the thing. They all go into the same fire. Regardless of if they're paid or unpaid, they both go into the fire. Elders are made up of a group of men of both paid and unpaid elders who are responsible for the same thing. As a paid elder myself, it allows me to do things more specifically, the teaching and the preaching. I get to dedicate myself to the church more. But we all have the same responsibilities. We all jump into the same fire. So briefly, that is who elders are. But what do they do? How do they do what they do? And that's when 1 Peter 5, verses 1 to 5 comes into play. What do elders do? Why is that important? Why does it even matter for us as a church? But as we get into verse 1, it has this great word, so. You remember your grammar? You remember? So. To what is happening before. Before. So, where does this word so point us to? It's four, verse 19. Therefore, suffer, according to God's will, entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. And now Peter gets in. So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder, and a witness of the suffering of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is being revealed, shepherd the flock. Of God, Peter is giving some foresights here of how elders who make up the visible leadership of the local church would be the first people to actually endure the persecution of the church. They're the ones who are leading, which means that they're the ones up front, which means they're the ones who are going to get shot first. They're protecting the flock, they're loving the flock they're teaching. They're caring for her, for the bride of Christ. They're suffering and their persecution of all believers, but there's a special strain on leaders. That's why Peter gets into his exhortation to elders here. They need to understand what is required of them, especially when the sheep are being harassed by those who are outside. So it is in that context that Peter comes along, and he exhorts the elders to shepherd the flock. In the midst of suffering, shepherd the flock. What do, what do elders do? They are tasked with the feeding, with the, for the protecting of the flock. Who stands in the lurch between the sheep and the predators for, of, the, of, the, of the ravenous wolves. We are the shepherds. In my office, if I was thinking about it, I would have brought it out. In my office, I have a shepherd's rod, and I have this amazing weapon that if there's ever a zombie apocalypse, I'm going to use, all right? And it's the rod. It's heavy, and if you hit somebody over the head with it, they're probably going to die. But that's of a shepherd those are the tools of a she- uh, of an elder this the staff is there to guide and 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 protect and sometimes correct and encourage the sheep but that rod it's there to beat back the wolves so someone comes and says pastor why do you have to be so hard upon people who uh, you know they kind of believe the same thing we do no they don't I'm called to protect the sheep from the wolves from the false teachers. It's my job. So now there's job. And I love what Peter does here though. He identifies himself as a witness of Christ's suffering. He connects his witness and what he has all, that he's also an elder. His witnessing of Jesus' suffering gives him the credentials of authority to instruct others, but also he is showing his humility all at the same time. It's this wonderful phrase. He's saying, I have authority to say what I'm about to say, so listen to what I'm going to say. But I'm also one of you. He says, also a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Peter comes from; well, he comes with authority, telling his fellow elders to to live for the gospel. But he's also saying that he himself is also in desperate need of the gospel. We know the story of Peter. That guy, I'm Peter. Okay, by the way, if I, if I had a name, it would be Peter. My middle name is Peter. How many mistakes did that guy do? He denied Jesus. Not once, not twice, three times. But then he later experiences the amazing saving grace of Jesus Christ. Jesus himself restores him back. He is a partaker and he desperately needs it. Peter, as an elder, His proclaiming the gospel, and not only his need for it, but for all of us. Elders have the humility to say that I can't do it, and the gospel reminds us daily that we can't do it. Christ died for our sins, and he rose again. He didn't save, we didn't save ourselves, Christ did it. He did it all. If you are in Christ, he sovereignly loves you. He died for you while you were still an enemy of him. He paid the price that you could not pay. It was impossible for you to pay it. So that when you rest in him and his work, you will have eternal life. See, in this first sentence, Peter is saying, oh, how I need you. Every hour I need you. The gospel is for sinners like Peter, like you, like me. Peter makes no abomination without, uh, he doesn't make any acknowledgement, uh, uh, he makes an, uh, sorry, he doesn't make any uh, sort of statement without also acknowledging his own vulnerabilities and how desperately he needs to know Jesus Christ, which shows a bit of what is required of an elder to be able to show his vulnerability in light of of their only being one chief shepherd. So elders talks about this, uh, and as we continue on, he says, uh, so, with the elders, and that word elders is talking about the dignity and the, and the gravity of that office, of the person who serves in it. All local churches in the New Testament were governed by a plurality of elders. When you open your Bible and you read the letters that are there, so Galatians, Ephesians, First and 2 Corinthians, all of those epistle letters, those letters, Paul addresses the elders of that local church. Everywhere. No what it is. But there's a, they, there's a dignity and a gravity. Even this letter is, is, is written to these, specific letter, uh, to, to these specific churches. And then in verse 2, we come along and we see the summary statement. The elders are to function as shepherds of God's flock. All elders exercise pastoral responsibility. We're not supposed to be like the elders that are in Ezekiel in the Old Testament, chapter 34, that, that were harsh and brutal to the people of God. In fact, in, in Ezekiel 34, it, God condemns the shepherds because they devour his people. That's not what they are to be. They are to, ta- take, their, they are to be the, take the example of the chief shepherd who appoints them under the, sh- un, as under-shepherds to lead, to feed, and to nurture, and to protect God's flock. The elders are to exercise oversight. So basically this. They're to They're to lead. It's hard, isn't it? I think we struggle with that a lot. We we kind of over democratize, is that a word? Sure. It is now. And we forget that God has appointed people to lead. Even in our own government, we elect people to lead. We can whine and complain about them all day long, and we do. But they have been put there to lead. So here is how it's fundamentally done. Martin Luther said it well that the elders shepherd God's flock by preaching the gospel. That's the fundamental, that's the basis. And they exercise oversight in three ways. As Peter continues on in his in his in his passage, he says, Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. And then he says, Not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you. Not under compulsion, he says. God wants those men who want to be elders to be elders. Which is another thing that we struggle with, right? This false sense of humility. Sometimes we're not really allowed to show that we want something. Right? Like, hey, what do you want to do? And you're kind of like, oh, I don't know. Oh, man. And God says, no. The men who are to Elders are, are, are not to do it under compulsion. They're actually supposed to be people who want to be. Elders must shepherd willingly. We can't strong arm someone into the position. Right? It's like uh, uh, we do this all the time. I've done it. I've been guilty of this. Trying to get your children to do something that they really don't want to do. Right? Come on. You can do it. I know you want to. And they're like, no, I don't. I'm like, oh, come on. I know you better than you. Come on. You can do it. No, they don't want to do it. God says that's an important part of how an elder exercises oversights. The impulse to lead must come gladly from within, not oppressively from the outside. 1 Timothy 3.1 says, As God would have you, literally according to God, he says, we aren't free to structure or organize the church according to what we want. It must be according to what God wants which means that the duties of oversight have a sense of accountability to God. In other words, elders exercise oversight not for the love of praise. They must actually want to do it, and for the right motivation, not because they think other people are going to like them. See, what happens if a man is in it, in this position, for the love of praise, for the appreciation What happens when he he must instruct all the sheep on hard topics? Like, I don't know, let's start with sin. And I'm not talking about the specific sin. I'm talking about getting down right into someone's life and saying, you have sin. Or all about all of the attributes of God. Not just one, not just the ones we think are nice, but all of them. What happens when he that elder must instruct all the sheep on the hard subjects? What, what, what happens when the weak ones uh, become too weak and they, they, they just can't go and it's hard work? I, I remember watching this show called uh, The World's T- Toughest Race. I think I might have said this before. And here I am watching this show. And this is like the first episode. It's a team race. It's like 650 kilometers long. I wouldn't last 10. That's what I'm thinking about the whole time and there's this guy the first day who gets heat stroke and he's like no i'm not i'm not done i'm not done so his team literally ties a rope around him and drags him through the jungle of Fiji like i'm like the guy's about my size right not a little guy right i think he's a redhead too yeah <laughs> right and they're dragging him through what happens an elder is confronted with the hardships of discipling someone, and when they have to actually drag them through, if they just want to do it for the praise, well, they're going to give out really quickly when it gets hard. It is important that they must be people who serve not under compulsion but willingly. They guard the vulnerable ones when the arrows are coming. They rebuke the obstinate ones as the risk of losing one or hurting people's feelings. They bear with the difficult ones. And if they're not in it for the right reasons, if they don't understand what they're doing, it's a mess. If someone doesn't want to be there and things get rough, that man will run away and cower in a corner. We need men who aren't in this for the love of praise, who actually want to be there. In the context of chapter 4, verse 19. Therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God. But Peter continues on. He says, elders must also, not, they must also serve and exercise oversight, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. So eager, elders shepherd eagerly. So this isn't a condemnation about how, uh, about how elders get paid, okay? So please hear me on this one. All right, this is important. <laughs> I'm this is about men who have a love for gain and the abuse of trust. These are the men who ask for the, uh, no names, right? These are the men who ask for their new jets. Demand of their congregation that they need a new jet. And they kind of paint it with this picture of, oh, this is for gospel message. This is for the gospel. I need a jet. No, you don't need a jet. I remember my dad saying this to me all the time. I, I, I said, Dad, I need a car. Like I'm in high school. Dad, I need a car, and he's like, "Why? I need to go to school." And I said, "So you need to get to school?" Yes, he said. Well, that's why there's a bus. <laughs> Here's two bucks. Actually, I think it was like a dollar back then. Right? People were shaking their head. I don't even know what it is now—three bucks or something. And then, and 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 you just go. These are men. We can't have men who are in this for shameful game. This, this is a position of, for people who aren't in it for the money. We can think of this, and, and it happens all the time. But keep in mind, this isn't about gain, but shameful gain. Okay, this is not about getting paid. This is about wanting more. But what happens when there are men in this position who are more about receiving the money money loving men lead the church spending towards the poor or church planting or global evangelism dries up in other words they exercise oversight not for the love of profits and the third thing that Paul, Peter sorry, Peter talks about is, is in this next part, he says, they must also not be domineering over those in their charge, but being an example of the flock. They aren't concerned with holding a position of power, but rather being faithful stewards of what Christ has entrusted with them. Men, as elders, if you are practicing elders, if you strive to be an elder, at some point you will not be an elder of this flock. You won't. And God will take this flock, we will give this flock back to him, and He will give her to someone else. stewards. And we need to do it well, not, under, not domineering of those in our charge, but being an example. God calls these men to not exploit his position or authority to Lord over others. There is no room for the man who is always demanding and never serving, always insisting on his way even when he knows he is wrong, always flaunting his position. Why? Because of what the following bit there says. We are to be examples to the flock of what Christ has done. The first sermon that we talked about in this series was that we were the bride of Christ. And that the standard for us husbands is what Christ has done for his church. Elders shepherd the flock by being an example to their flock of what it means to grow in Christ's likeness. They are to be an example of humility, self-sacrifice, love for God, passion and worship, generosity, devotion to family, and most of all, obedience to Jesus in all things. Jesus says, jump. You say, how oh, high, Jesus? Jesus how high? These are people who don't have a love of power. What happens if men who are leading the church aren't example of those of these things? As a church, we are the blood-bought bride of Christ that is now called to live as those who have been changed by the Holy Spirit. Our lives are to exemplify Christ, especially those who are leading. I was watching this great meme. I've seen it a few times. You know what a meme is? It's a meme. Actually, it means a picture. What's the equivalent of a video? Anyways, it was a video online. It's super cute. Like, really cute. There's this little toddler, like, yay, hi. This dad's like on the ground, and they're lightsabering together. They're fighting with the lightsaber. You know what those are? Star Wars? Okay, there we go. They're fighting. And then lightly, okay? They weren't like, it's like just play, all right? And the father goes and he kind of slices his little toddler son. Probably can't even talk, right? He slices his son. And then all of a sudden, I see his son drop the sword and he goes, oh. And he just falls down to the ground and he plays dead. I'm like, where in the world did this? this? is the cutest thing. I watched it a few times. Where did he learn to do that? Probably because his dad did it. You see how important it is to have men who are exemplifying Christ in that position? Paul himself says, follow me as I follow Christ." elders are to exemplify christ to the flock well they also have to because the flock has to trust them right they're not going to follow someone that they don't trust see this section though is sandwiched as i've been saying between first peter 419 and first peter 5 verse 10 my job is to prepare you for what will come to teach God's word faithfully and to pray for you by God's grace, by his strength, by his mercy. He uses these feeble attempts to strengthen his church. Because we firmly believe in Isaiah 55 verse 11, right? So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth, the Lord says. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish what, that which I purposed and shall succeed in the things by which I sent it. It's an amazing thing. So Peter takes time to exhort his fellow elders in light of what Christ has done for them with a foresight that there will be suffering and that the elders need to shepherd Christ's church. In light of that, elders make up the visible leadership of the local church. They will be the first people, but they are to be the examples as well. Look at me as I suffer. That's essentially what Peter is saying. As an elder, I should be able to be an example in all areas of life. Even in the suffering. In light of the suffering, we are to lead. Even during a worldwide pandemic, we are to lead. So this doesn't sound fun at all, right? You're reading that over and going, man, who wants to be an elder? (laughs) Hence the first part. They must want to. But again, who wants to? See, sometimes we romanticize things. Oh, I really want to be an elder. I think I should be an elder. I think I should be these things. I, I, I really want to do that. And then we forget all the other hard things that happen, like verse 19 and... Of chapter 4 and, and chapter 5 verse 10 there's verse 4 i leave this final reminder that peter also reminds his fellow elders and when the chief shepherd appears you will receive the unfading crown of glory The chief shepherd will provide a crown of glory to those who serve in his own pattern of selfless leadership to his flock. But Jesus is the first chief shepherd. He is the only one. Elders are the under-shepherds. They submit to Christ. They are the first to ask, what does the Bible say about this situation? Because if the word of God is useful for all things, that means it's useful for all things. Christ is the chief shepherd. And this is where this motivation comes. In this verse, in verse 4, this is the motivation. Motivation of why these spiritually minded men are to be like this. Here lies the power to obey. Looking back to Jesus' sacrifice that justifies us and looking forward to Jesus' return that will glorify us. All is taken care of and all is of grace enabling us to live and to lead with selfless confidence for him and for his people. We need to rest in him. And church, brothers and sisters, pray for these men. Pray for them. May they rest in him. Christ is the chief shepherd of God's people. The elders are to submit to Christ. I am just an under shepherd. Someone said to me, You're the boss now. <laughs> response was, You really don't understand how this works, do you? <laughs> I'm not the boss. The church isn't the boss. Christ is the tra- boss. He's the only one who's bought us with his blood. He owns his church, and he has the right to tell us how his church is to be. And everyone's like, "Oh, that's a problem." If you're having a problem with that, then that's a submission problem. Christ is the under shepherd. I, or sorry, I am the under shepherd. Christ is the chief shepherd. And one day I will hand this flock off to him and he will hand her to another under-shepherd. I am just a steward, which means I need to be the discipler. I need to be actively active in rising up other men who are seek this very thing. Men, those who are the spiritually-minded people of this church, I know you are tired. I know. I know that this... Time is especially hard. Who would have thought that 2020 would be a write-off almost, it feels. But let me remind you of the hope you have. Serve well in the office that you serve in, so that when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. I know it's hard. I know the attacks are there. I know the discouragement is real. I know that life can feel like it's piling on. Keep your eyes on Christ, who is the author and the finisher of your faith. Encourage one another in these things. And church, pray for them. Pray for them. What do elders do? They shepherd the church. They lead the church. How do they do that? By preaching the gospel. And they are to exercise oversight. How do they do that? By shepherding in such a way that points to the chief shepherd. So what? You're like, pastor just preached a whole sermon on elders. I'm not an elder. Elders are the spiritually minded men who shepherd the flock. Why does it even matter to you? Why we can't be a healthy church without men who are shepherding God's flock in this way? It's impossible. Spiritually minded men who love the bride of Christ, leading also involves trust, and the congregation needs to trust in the leadership. They are the ones who safeguard the church, is witness in the community. What do elders do? Why are they important to the church? It's important because, first and foremost, they are the leaders that Christ has appointed to oversee his church. We're not perfect. Sometimes we think we are. But we're not. But we have been entrusted with this. This is not a mere suggestion. It's a biblical mandate. A church cannot be fully healthy church without elders and faithful elders. And a church cannot can most certainly not be healthy without qualified elders. It is important. So five things of why it's important. The church needs elders who are spiritually minded. They aren't concerned with holding a position of power, but rather being a faithful steward of what Christ has entrusted to them. Second thing is this, the church needs elders who care for the people. Shepherds should be praying for the flock, knowing what God uses, the, God uses the power of prayer to preserve his people. If you ever wonder what we do at a deacon's meeting, we've spent time in prayer for you. Third is, the church needs elders who model for the people. Elders who are qualified prove to be helpful models for the people who need encouragement, discipleship, and real-life example of how sanctification works. Paul said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Fourth, the church needs elders who can teach. No church should ever have to suffer through the burden of not having gifted leaders who guide them in the scriptures. Elders should be seen as essential to feeding the flock, so much so that one of the primary emphasis in the local church is the raising up and the support of biblical elders. The church needs elders. Fifth, the church needs elders who protect them from the deceivers. Elders stand against false doctrines, mark false teachers, and refuse to concede against any wolves that would prey on the flock. I remember a few years ago I, I was in a church uh, which I was an elder in and who came and you know as a nice person I try to be nice I go and talk to them I'm sitting there and listening I'm listening and I'm going He's shady He's a shady guy his doctrine is wrong he's smiling and then I start thinking and talking. I'm like, he mentioned something, and I know that I went to another church that a friend of mine's a pastor at, so I called him. I'm like, do you know this guy? He's like, oh, man, you got to be careful of that guy. I am an elder. Cause, protect, the flock. So what does this mean for you? We are a congregational church, meaning that you vote on these spiritually minded men. So in order to accurately vote, that means you have to have an accurate picture of what they need to be, right? It's coming up again. This is why we're doing this series now, if you haven't figured it out. The end of the year is coming, which means that we're going to be electing new deacons and spiritually minded men. If you're a member of this church, you have a responsibility to vote in men who meet these qualifications. And this is when every guy's like, oh, no. (laughs) This is your job. It's important for health. So what can you do? Pray. Please pray. And not pray in like the complaining type prayer that we can often do. Pray for them. God, help these men to be faithful to you. God, may we be a church who's raising up more men for this. Pray for them. And remember Hebrews thirteen seventeen. Obey your leaders and submit to them. For they are keeping watch over your souls. As they who ha- will give an account. Like that is heavy. Let them do this with joy, not with groaning. For that would be of no advantage to you. Church, I beg you, pray for these men, that they would be shepherds. Praise God for the men that God has blessed us with over the 80 years who have been faithful in this. Pray that we as a church would continue to raise up new elders to guide and to shepherd. Pray that we would seek to raise them up, that they may be faithful who are elders and what do they do? They meet the qualifications of 1 Timothy 3, 1-7 and Titus 1, 6-9. They are recognized by the congregation as elders who are actually doing that work. Third, they lead the congregation by the teaching of the word, by praying for the sheep and the overseeing of the church affairs. Pray for these men. They are important. Pray for them. And keeping this in mind, that we can't do any of this without Jesus. Not an ounce of it. We need him every hour. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you for who you are. We thank you that we have been bought by your precious blood. God, we can't do the task that is ahead on our own, clearly. But Lord, you have gifted us with men, spiritually minded men, with the task of shepherding your church. I pray pray for each one of these men. I pray for Keith. I pray for Dave. I pray for Jeff. I pray for Chuck. God, that you may encourage them during this hard time. That they may continue to grow in the grace and the knowledge of you. That they may continue to be an example to this church, this flock here at Knollwood for your glory. And God, may we be faithful as a church and as spiritually minded men as well. May we be faithful in raising up other men who meet these qualifications. God, may you bless that work. May you be glorified, and amen.